11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is FinTech Insider News. Today we bring you the latest developments in the BB&T and SunTrust supermerger. Chime rings the changes as 10,000 new users sign up in 24 hours. And MasterCard's new Sonic identity that's going on tour. All this and much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 297 of FinTech Insider, almost to 300. We're coming to you live from the 11FS office in Devonshire Square, London. I'm Sam Mall, or Uncle Sam, or Unc, as Michael calls me. Love you, Michael. It is so lovely to see the media team that never get enough shout-outs. So Laura, our producer, Alex, Michael, and Pet hiding in the corner. I miss you guys. It's been fun seeing you for the past two weeks. I'm the host today, and this is a very special episode all American. We're going to focus on a couple of American stories. Everybody here that's going to be on the show will give you their unique view on this. And as I introduce each of our guests, if you don't mind telling me what part of the country that you live in. So like I said, I'm not alone. I'm joined by some fantastic guests, all of whom are Americans or U.S. based here in London. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like that caveat? They're Americans or expats. All right, so we have Tina Baker-Taylor, Executive Director and Board Member, Global Digital Finance. How are you doing today? Hi, Sam. I'm good. How are you? Good. It's been a good week. Good. I have a beer in front of me, so I'm yeah, happy. nice. Uh, Alexa Fernandez from the Open, Own, Open Innovation and Ecosystem Builder at BBVA. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Did you recover from last night? That would, that would be FinTech Insider live show, by the way, for everybody, which was fantastic. A nice I was plug. trying to remember what you were talking about, so that says a lot already. <laughs> it was a good night at a Canary Wharf, which most people don't say. All right, I'm going to get the name wrong, and we're going to edit this, but we're going to try anyways. Ready? Joaquin Ayusa DePaul. That works perfect. Oh, my God. That was a first. I got a high five from Laura, CEO of Denizen, and I'm guessing San Francisco? That is correct as well. And then Mark Meisner, my good, good friend, the CEO of Gen6 Ventures, all the way from Omaha, Nebraska. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. It's good to see you again. Yeah, I haven't seen you in like 10 minutes, so it is good to see everybody. Mark has a biscuit in front of him, so he's happy. Yes. So with that, let's dive in. A lot of good stories, a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting things that happened in the U.S. over the past week. Um, One thing to note, though, if you can't get enough of Fintech Insider and you want to see us as well as hear us, we've brought back FinTech Insider on air. Every episode from 3 p.m. on Wednesdays will be live on Periscope, chatting about the latest topics and trends in the industry. So keep your eyes on the 11FS Twitter feed for more news on that. All right, so let's dive in. Let's get to our first story. And this one was actually huge. And I got to give Mark Meisner credit because we were sitting together a couple days ago when he brought this up uh, and saw it in the morning. SunTrust and BB&T are merging, which I think for most people in Europe, they have no clue really what we're talking about. Let's be honest, SunTrust and BB&T, two super regional banks in the U.S. down in the southeast. Um, I think we should actually start with that term. Mark, how would you describe what a super regional is? Oh, yeah, it's uh, probably anything below the big uh, four or five banks uh, in the U.S., um, but still, you know, these are two $200 billion asset-sized firms, so... um, you know, Small good, banks. Good good sized firms in the US uh, joining to form the sixth largest bank in the US. I mean, we're talking about a merger. Um, we're looking at $66 billion all stock merger, easily the largest bank merger uh, since the crisis in 2008. The entity, as Mark said, this will be the sixth largest bank in the US. I think it'll fall 
right behind PNC, which, by the way, is another super regional, which I find to be well, quite most, funny. Most banks in the U.S. start off that way. So Wells Fargo, Washington Mutual, you know, all all of these, you know, TD Bank. Um, the U.S., I think, is so segmented by region anyway that, you know, you end up going after market share in that area. So I think that's a, a model that's probably unique to the U.S., but a regional bank is no small piece of the banking pie, I think, is, what's, what's is important the, to... What's the equivalent of a regional bank in the U.K.? Is that like a co-op? Maybe like Pat nationwide. Some, I mean, there, there really isn't. There isn't. There isn't a, maybe, you know, Lloyd's at one point. I mean, before. one region in the U.S. would be the size of the U.K., <laughs> Correct, so yeah. Yeah. hard to compare. I mean, I, I think I saw somebody a post on this. They're, they're trying to, they just went right to the asset size. And I think that's the easiest way for folks, um, for listeners in Europe or across the world to understand this. So again, with the merger, we're talking $442 billion in assets, $301 billion in loans, $324 billion in deposits. That's slightly ridiculous, uh, to be honest. But I think what's actually funny about that is their footprint. They overlaid each other so much. Their, their branch network, um, something like there's 740 of the two banks, 3,100 branches were within two miles of each other. Yeah. So they're kind of like a McDonald's or a Walgreens stateside, right? Every corner. Yeah. They're very street oriented. Well, I mean, they, they definitely had invested quite a bit in their branch network, and that was early on their acquisition strategy, obviously. But again, I think that the, the culture of, you know, U.S. banking is still very tied to going into your local branch. I mean, I do what I do, and I still can't get my parents to use online banking. They like to go to their branch. They know everyone at their branch, and they enjoy, it gives them something to do on a Thursday afternoon to go in and do their banking. So, the branch network, I think, is really important when you're looking at regional banking offering. I think this is actually going to be one of the largest um, impacts of the merger. I think it, when we first saw this story, Mark, you were like, okay, <laughs> that's, it's easy to see where there's going to be some cost cutting that comes into here. It's got to be on the bank closure side. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the big driver for this. You're going to see, I don't know, easily a billion or two in savings uh, for the combined firm. Um, you're probably going to see hundreds of branch closures. Uh, I know there was a lot of talk that this was driven by tech and innovation, uh, but there's probably just some good business fundamentals that drove this merger. Yeah, I saw several articles that was like, you know, tech is driving this. And yeah, I'm like, Joaquin, I laugh too. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. It, this I mean, one makes sense. With, with the, they have very similar cultures. They have very similar doing in the market. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see if this merge actually spawns the 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 spark of that innovation and digital approach that all the banks are trying to take in the U.S. So they let's see. So BB&T is Raleigh based. That's North Carolina um, for those in the rest of the world. Um, SunTrust would be in Atlanta, um, which is a massive financial um, center in the U.S. Um, but the news is they're going to open up a new corporate headquarters in Charlotte, North Carolina. Which again, um, for those not in the U.S., Charlotte is a massive banking hub in the U.S. You've got Bank of America, Wells. Um, I mean, there's there's TIA, TIA Craft, Ally Bank are all based there. And so, um, building a new corporate there is going to be interesting. I think they also said they're going to open up an innovation center or lab in Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. 
So if I'm a banker in Charlotte, I'm kind of happy. I think I have a job opportunity. Yeah, but if you're a banker in Atlanta, you're probably a little upset. Uh, this, is, this is a big loss uh, for Atlanta, especially on the heels of uh, the FDR deal uh, with Fiserv. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be impactful for, uh, for those folks. So I have a question because I'm not that familiar with that region. I'm from Texas, by the way. How <laughs> Everybody are, from Texas always says, I'm from Texas, by the way. Got to get it at dinner. <laughs> we are our own little nation. You are. We were, actually, at some point. And they also always bring that up, too. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's bigger. All right, anyways, we've, we've established you're from Texas. What's Moving the on. reputation in the industry on in terms of innovation and their tech capabilities for both of these two banks? Like, I don't quite know what they're doing. I think that's a fair question. Um, and and I'm going to be nice. Um, I, I live in the South. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, right? So SunTrust is there. I lived in Atlanta for a decade. Um, I've worked with both banks in previous lives. Um, I think BB&T um, has, over the past couple of years, worked to get um, stronger in the tech space, put together a good digital team there. A shout out to Paul Amosino. Love you, Paul, um, and the team there. So they've, they've got some good talent. Um that, that they're building out. This will make this move interesting. SunTrust, again, it's the same thing. I think the harder thing for both banks is a lot of acquisitions earlier on, right? They're going to have the typical spider web of legacy systems they're going to have to plug into. They've got a, I think to your point earlier, right? Uh, the branch network actually in some of these areas in the South is a has a strong footprint. Yeah. I mean, it Especially really does. Especially in the South, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think you will see that a bit more. I think it makes the branch closure side is going to be interesting, but they overlay each other so much. I seriously don't believe in the headlines that said this was tech-driven. Well, so, so what's interesting about that, you brought up the previous acquisition. So SunTrust were um, one of the, the few regional banks like Wells Fargo in the late 90s um, and Washington Mutual that, that went on basically a buying frenzy. Um, and throughout the 90s, they bought loads of local and regional banks. And then, you know, nearing the crisis, we started to see these big mergers, which caused them to, you know, become huge. Um, and then Wells acquired Wachovia, which in itself was acquiring all of these other banks. And I think Wells is a good example, Wells Fargo, of a bank that you then saw having to kind of unbundle all of this mismatch of technology that they had. Um, and say what you want about Wells Fargo. They, they do oh, we will. dominate the, um, the, the West Coast, um, probably seconded by maybe City, if you're looking at a, a top tier one global bank. Um, so after the financial crisis and all of these mergers and acquisitions, um, it stalled, right? So we had this regulatory clampdown, you know, too big to fail. Um, and we went from having multiple major acquisitions a year to something like one a year from 2019 to 2016. Um, so I think that technology, uh, that look toward, is this going to be an innovation play? I think first they're going to have a lot of remediatory work to do to understand how they plug in all of these different federated banks that they've acquired along the way to present one offering to a customer that's going to be compelling enough to rival some of the bigger banks and being number six in the country, you know, that's going to be a tall order. Yeah. I think they're going to spend a ton of time going through cost cutting exercises, honestly. And, and on the books, it's going to look great. 
Well, from the books, you know, the announcement was really well received by the street. And um, it's great for shareholders. So SunTrust shares have rose 10% and BB&T have rose 4% over the last week. So it's a huge jump. So, share price. so I think it's interesting. We've seen a couple of, I mean, we, we just didn't have news like this, right, in the space. So you had, I think the last bank acquisition in the U.S. I could think of was MB and Fifth Third. But that was only like $5 billion. And that's, again, very regional. You're talking Chicago, right, and, and Illinois footprint. So, and then out of the blue, we suddenly got the FDR news, right, which I think, was anybody surprised by that? I was. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I was <laughs> Completely, I just didn't see that coming whatsoever. But I mean, that was in the U.S. I was especially well, globally. That was massive news. So I don't know. I that one I can see probably a little bit more tech coming out of that. I'm not going to make any judgments on how good that tech is. And walking again is smiling. It's all right. We can all smile about it. I mean, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. If if you were to make a prediction, here's the hardest thing. Do you think any other banks will make a move in the U.S.? And if you were to pick a couple, which ones would you say? Because I could see that happening. Make a move for acquisitions or yeah. make a move to steal market share? I think I think either. Well, so as interest rates rise, banks are fighting to hold on to deposits that they already have, right? So they're retaining right. customers. Um, and mergers help banks build up their deposit base, right? So that they can lend right. more, right? Um, so it, it gives them clout in the, in the marketplace, um, which then affords them more control over the rates that they can charge and the rates that they pay out. So this ends up being a catch-22 for customers, I think, in this situation. If you have um, large Tier 1 global banks that are looking to potentially uh, steal market share during the disruptive period right. of this, um, are they going to be greedy? Are they going to be um, offering competitive rates? I think that's going to play a big role. Um, but from a tech side, regional banks don't typically necessarily have the, the the balance sheet or the budget to afford all the bells and whistles of, you know, biometric ID and all of these, you know, fancy things that you get with an account at Chase, potentially, right? So that could be a differentiator. Um, and they could leverage that network and well, those processes. If I'm not mistaken, Fifth Third set aside like $100 million to focus on fintech alone. Well, the thing is that um, through these stages that we see of recession, interest rates going up and then going down, the lending trends go different, like opposite to that. Yeah. And what you see is deposit capture trends, and then you see lending capture trends. And you can see how the fintechs follow that trend. So yeah. all the digital neobanks appeared when the deposit capture was kind of like the thing to do. And then the lending fintechs appeared when they were built throughout the recession. And then when the recession came over, they took over in that wave. So what, what I think we're going to see is actually a very big digital move from banks because branches take a long time to move forward. Mm. But the digital side actually is faster. So you, you can see trends like Marcos. You can see trends like... Uh, simple that are trying to push really hard the deposit so capture. So I have a question on that actually. So in the article it said the banks could lose customers to other financial services firms including online banks but generally these institutions are not regulated as heavy as traditional banks meaning that customers money could be at greater risk if the company they deposit with goes belly up. How are the regulations different for a digital challenger versus a traditional bank? Does anybody know? Well at the end of the day I mean when you so we're about to talk more we're about chime in our next story, right? But the reality is they still sit on a bank, right? They're I mean, sitting on they a charter. They would be regulated the yeah. same, so right? So let's do if that. Let's, insured, yeah. so let's take your question and, and spin that into that story. So, I mean, the next story is about chime, right? In the U.S., I think it's 
Um, easy to when you look at uh, a digital challenger bank, right? Here in the UK, we talk about Star, we talk Starling, Monzo. You take throw N26, Revolut, everybody else in there. In the US, we just haven't seen anything massive for a while take but off, right? In the UK, right? they're regulated the same. In the UK, because they own the license, right? Yes. In the US, we haven't seen anything really. I mean, um, um, Varo Bank, I think, is the only one, and they have a they have got a provisional banking license, if I remember right. Everyone else is sitting on top of a bank charter on someone else's charter. So Chime is a good example. Chimes, I think they're up to like 1.5 million customers. Is what they said they've reached numbers wise. Um, and there was an article that just came out that said they've added a record breaking number of accounts in a 24 hour period following the Wells Fargo outage. I, was, I like how they fit that into the story. They said that they're adding 10,000 new bank accounts um, in the past 24 hours since the Wells Fargo outage that took place. Chime, again, a San Francisco based company. Um, I, what, the thing I always wonder about Chime, though, by the way, is so of all those users, is that more or less just San Francisco? I mean, does that play? I'd love to see that acquisition. I'd love to see it on a map, right? And and to see how that plays out. Like Bank Mobile, I'm guessing is incredibly heavy in New York. Chime, I'm going to guess is incredibly heavy West Coast side. I'd love to know how well they're doing in Nebraska, say, or Texas. Right. And Mar- I heard Mark laugh. So I'm guessing you don't see a ton of time chime users running around in Omaha. No, they probably operate uh, in the markets that they market. Um, and I haven't seen a chime ad yet in the great Midwest. But again, that's the regionality. Yeah. Right. Well, there so you that's go. the but cultural that difference here, too. So, by the way, I live in London. So I, a lot of. But the, you're from Texas. I am from Texas. We have established that. It used to be its own country. <laughs> and they had their own money, by the way. <laughs> Texas had its own money. Yeah. They issued their own currency for a while, yeah. Sam for Houston, I'm guessing, was on the, on, on the whatever it was called, the dollar bill or whatever? Yeah. All right, I'm Googling that. Texas coin. On the coin. break. I'm very excited about I, that now. I took Texas, Texas history, but I don't remember that part. Oh, wow. And if I had to guess, yeah. I would assume it'd be like also a picture of the Alamo somewhere yeah, on that Yeah, it's a safe guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, see, now I forgot what I was going to say. We're talking regional <laughs> in Texas. Right. Oh, yeah, right. I was going to say in the UK, it's pretty much the same thing. When you're talking about challenger banks and the digital ones, yeah. The where you see the adoption is around this area where we are now, which London. is the, the, the kind of tech hub of London. And then, you know, you have Adam Bank, which is based up north, but they don't have a current account quite yet. But I suspect that a lot of that concentration of users is also still really metropolitan, hence London-based. So I don't find that to be necessarily just a U- U.S. thing regional. It seems to be where digital adoption happens anyway. When we talk about any of the big players you, that come from the tech, world they t- tends to happen in yeah it's going to be new york francisco it's going to be san francisco and, yeah. yeah but mark i think you're right where are they spending their marketing dollars so do people in nebraska even know that chime exists the five people that listen to this show do okay I'm just saying they're shout they, they out know. to you nebraska ten. No, one of them's here <laughs> <laughs> okay the four people that are still in nebraska know yeah i think that's the challenge right i mean we We've been hearing on this show, and you can read it in the news, that uh, these challenger banks are looking and eyeing the U.S., right? I don't think that's a secret. So whether it's Monzo, um, Starling, Revolut, and 26 have all been making that noise that they want to come here. And I think it's pretty obvious they're going to focus on New York, and they're going to focus on San Francisco. And I don't blame them for doing it. I mean, New York, I mean, New York itself, just the city is the size of how many different U.S. states. You can probably take about half of the... (laughs) <laughs> for the you take 25 states and mm. just throw them out the door let alone the potential digital customers 
exactly like extremely concentrated in those areas um yeah i think the i think the whole outage with wells became some of the greatest marketing for chime right it was free advertisement for them well said that's exactly what i was thinking yeah and i mean I, and i have good friends that work at wells and wells is doing fine i mean honestly right how much market share did wells actually lose last year it what does it take to get somebody to actually switch accounts I did. I moved out of Wells Fargo after all the scandal of uh, accounts generation. I found myself with three accounts that I didn't know I have. I, oh, that I did you? Oh, did you? Yeah. And that were created after for the you. Fact, after wow. the fact that uh, they, they it came out on the news. So I immediately, I immediately cut, cut loose uh, Wells Fargo and, and moved. Yeah, I, I, but I just wonder overall though, how many people. I just don't think it's been a massive. But you were you were shift. a victim of of fraud, right? So if somebody comes to my house and you know steals my TV, then you know I'm incentivized to get an alarm. But if I'm just you know irritated, and I think most people are just a bit irritated, like what what has to happen for that level of agitation to? escalate to action. Well, I think I Wells is, is trying to find out what that limit is, personally. Yeah. I think they're doing a good <laughs> job of doing the litmus they're test. It's, it's called market research. <laughs> that's, that's what there is. Yeah, how long Experiential will it take? market yeah. research. We got to feel for them because they keep having to come up with new marketing. You know, this is Wells. This is really Wells. And I, again, I have a lot of friends at Wells. I love you guys. It's tough. I mean, that, that is the reality. I, way back in the day, I used to work at Tesis. An outage was your worst nightmare, right? And unfortunately, with Wells... I, I don't even know how long this has gone on. It went on well over 24 hours. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this was painful for them. And um, it's Visa had the same thing too, though, right? Visa, I think they said it was a fire in their data center or some. Yeah, it was during BS Money 2020 last year, remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Come all, of these, timing is all of these payments people were in one yeah. place and nobody could yeah. make a payment. If I was MasterCard, I would have just run with that. I would have come up with something. Hashtag right? The crypto. movie Up. Yeah, I would have done something and, and played along with that. Um, I mean, but good on Chime. Um, I think they're close to raising um, $300 million and that we're talking at a $1.5 billion valuation. So yet another unicorn in this space, in the fintech space. Um, you know, one thing I am curious about... Um, because Mark and I, uh, for the past two weeks, have kind of been driving around the city, and there's so many similarities, in my opinion, between London and San Francisco. There just are, right? You have a captured audience, especially when it comes to fintech. You can't go anywhere anywhere on the tube here. The buses are riding by with Starlings banking, but better ads. You go to San Francisco, you're inundated with that. I'm assuming Chime's got a great marketing footprint when you're in San Francisco. It's reasonable. It's yeah, you, you can see a lot of chime ads um, around San Francisco. So but you can see from the others too. Like I, I, all the trains were for over two months with simple ads, and then you had Chime and you had others also chipping in Varo for for a while had a lot of ads. But what what's the differentiator with Chime? Is it better? Is it a better UI? Is it a better? Do they offer more competitive? Their rates? cards are white. So they've got a fancy card. <laughs> so that's the thing. Wait, so if you're wait, trying back up, their cards are white. So basically, they were just doing the test plastic, and it went over really well. Yeah, when they were, when they were going <laughs> yeah, the through. stock, the They're stock like, plastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the trend among challenger banks is to have a differentiated color. I guess all the other colors were taken. A lot of free, it's it's a free checking account, right? Or, or close to it, very fee-less driven, I think was the terminology they like to use. So they wrap around a lot around that. But I, I, yeah, I would struggle to say no, what... What, are you, paying, what are you paying for a checking account in the U.S. now? 
What am I paying for checking account? Well, Nothing. No, I mean, I'm 52. You know, you, I do well. <laughs> but, but what's the average cost of a checking account? It can get up to $12. Yeah. 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 A month. Yeah. 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 Which we used to slap prepaid around for that all the time. And then you back pay for your day. checks. But that's a whole different uh, insider altogether. When's the last altogether? time you actually have ever used a check? Me personally? Yes. Um, so somebody came to my door selling manure a few weeks ago. Oh, this is good. Go on. And they said... This is uh, a pretty common story. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I live in the country and the local stables bags it up and they sell it to you for your garden. And um, they, I said, well, I don't have any cash. And she said, oh, we'll take a check. And I thought, huh. And then I spent probably... 10 minutes looking around my house to see if I even owned a checkbook. Um, And then I ended up sending her a bank transfer mobile in then anyway. So the check was irrelevant. Um, So, but in the U S my grandmother sends me a check every year. I, I, I've said this before. I think I probably have 10, 12 of them sitting somewhere because I don't cash them. Well, we've tried to kill checks in the UK. We've tried to kill checks forever in a day. They're still around. I mean, it's not, Dead, dead. Are they? It's like a Monty Python skit. The, the, you Not can't, dead there, yet. There are still checks, but I don't know anyone Written that uses them. Written by grandmothers everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> 50 bucks. Happy birthday. A, yeah. a good advertisement My for grandma has moved <clears throat> on to the debit cards that you get at the grocery store. Oh, like a, like a prepaid gift yeah, card. Yeah, which are not that great because then they get, you know, the fees on top of that, but easier to use in store. Let's move on to, to one more story and that I like because it is it reminds me of San Francisco and that's around Plaid. So um, Plaid had some news come out that from a nationwide standpoint they're supporting OSS, which they said for every bank and credit union in the U.S. is some clever um, copy, in my opinion. Uh, the expansion of their OSS API allows banks to move more quickly and connect to accounts. So previously that their API and, and had been limited to roughly, I say limited, to around 3,800 banks. There's a lot of banks in the U.S. and credit unions. But now with this um, expansion they've done, they said this now open up to almost 12,000 banks and credit unions across the U.S. Um, one, I like Plaid personally. Um, I always give this story that several years ago I was at a dive bar in San Francisco and this kid named Zach came was you know I was like hey so what do you do and he's like hey, I'm about to start this new company and I'm like cool what's it called plaid huh what's you know what's it gonna do you walked me through it and I'm like that's nice that's cute good luck <laughs> yeah thank you so yes I'm still working <laughs> and Zach's writing really cool blog posts now because they're a unicorn but they've done extremely well um, I think uh, against the odds to be honest yeah, but they moved out from one of the coolest offices in San Francisco, which is I I tell I tell them every time you will regret this. They they had an office with an actual like penthouse terrace facing Market Street, and they had barbecue, and it, it, it was amazing. And they moved out of that one. It's like don't grow, just stay there. <laughs> <laughs> the driver is your view, right? Can you do Keep out other tenants, but just to stay there. <laughs> So I have a challenge, because I certainly can't do it. Who can translate this article into like normal speak? So somebody listening that doesn't get the complexities can understand it. I haven't found an easy way of explaining this to people so in everyday language. Yeah, so here's my favorite way to do it. If, actually, if you go to Plaid's blog, all right, um, and take a look at that, they actually show you 
this in action and walk you through the, the three different scenarios, right? Which is a normal integration. You give them your username and password. They've already partnered with that bank. No problem getting hooked up. Um, if you aren't, but you still have the ability to consume an API, they're doing a micro deposit, right? Yeah, there's the look. <laughs> um, so, so they still have the way to do a hit. My favorite though is if you can't actually consume the API, you can physically move money into your account. So is this just a patch yes. for banks and credit unions that don't have an IBAN or a SWIFT connection? Basically. Okay, gotcha. Yes. So like I said, it's slightly creative marketing, but they found a workaround right, yeah. in order to to get this out there. Because the big thing with with any company like So now like when you Plaid, have a, a, a little account, or a little account. Small, you, small bank. You have an account at a, my parents have one, at a, at a credit union. Um, and it's the credit union that they've belonged to for, I don't know, 50 years. Um, and they they can't accept or send international wire transfers because they don't have a SWIFT connection. So this would then sit in the middle, allowing them well, you just define to why resolve I left, that. You just define why I left my credit union way back in the day. Um, They'll I never went leave. Over they know US. everyone. Oh, I got they out. They go in and yes, have a like coffee and a chat. Yeah, I was yeah. able to, I, I had to move over to USA. Every I Thursday. went to work for 11FS, right? I'm getting my check you know, from them. I, I would tell everybody the easiest way to do this, and we'll put a link in the show notes, go out and look at the, the blog for Plaid. It's actually, they do a good write-up and they give you a visual walkthrough for each step. I'm, I'm on it, yeah. but I think almost the, the, <laughs> you kind of did a good job of explaining it, Tina. So it's, it's like allowing the mom and pops to access other services because then the bank can actually go and build that bridge. I think to offer other services to their customer base based on this API connection into the, the wider network. Yes. Building a better bridge. Yes. Making this up. I yes. don't know. I would say building, building in some cases a bridge period. Okay. Where there wasn't one that existed. I'm going to try. You All can right. cut it if it fails. No, we'll go for it. Here we go. <laughs> so, the biggest issue that happened about 10 years ago with banking is they were holding a lot of information in their systems that were the customer's information. We're talking about transactions. We're talking about where they bought, how much, and when they spent. And it was really hard for them, even for the banks, to relay that information to the customers, right? So the website, the web apps, and the mobile apps don't have that much information in your phone today. Well, Plat offered, and they approached like the first two, three banks, big banks in the time, um, we're not, we're not going to put names here. And they, what they offer them is let us connect directly to your systems. And what we're going to do is we're going to put beautiful APIs that other companies are going to be able to leverage that information with, right? So for instance, if you had a personal finance manager, let's say, I don't know, a plan.com, then you will be able to connect your bank accounts and see more information than even if you were in your banking app. So Plaid generated all that funnel uh, between the bank systems and all these companies like startups, applications, uh, PFMs that would allow you to read that information better. Would that mm. explain? So it? essentially, mm-hmm. it's it's the first steps and the, the concept of what you talk about here with open banking, open right? Banking. Yeah, we're yeah the, the regulatory much. side saying you have to do this and bring it in. You get the early days of this, the early, you know, what we talk about this all the time. When is open banking coming to the U.S. Right? So, yeah, I, I mean, this, like, this never really addresses authentication for agri- for data aggregation. Yeah. Um, so the screen scraping. So constantly. prior to this, you could only authentic authenticate a user to a certain section of banks. 
Um, now it's expanded to all of them. It's, you know, it's, it's not as neat as it is for the big ones. But if you're a non-bank, you can use Plaid to go in and pull bank data out and aggregate it. If you are a bank, you can have your customers go into their other banks and pull their data in and see it all in one spot. More importantly, they lost a really cool terrace that overlooks San Francisco. Yeah. And that was a huge however, mistake. However, Zach's mistake. hair looks awesome. So go Google it. He's growing it out. Obviously, that's what you do when you become a unicorn. Good on them. So are All you right. totally confused? Yes. No, I get it. I'm just tra- <laughs> trying to explain how you would explain it to Lehman. So they're building the bridge where it didn't exist, and they're building a safe one. Yeah. Yes. That's an, I think that's a simple way of, of doing it. Again, read the blog post. I think it's well done. All right, it's time for a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to Fintech Insider from 11FS, here at 11FS for 2019. And we wanted to choose a charity to support going forwards in everything we do. After shortlisting six fantastic causes, we as an office collectively decided to target MIND, one of the UK's leading charities for mental health awareness. MIND provides invaluable support to anyone and everyone who suffers from mental illness by campaigning to improve services and promoting understanding. So how can you help? If you haven't already, please visit our swag shop via the 11FS website to bag your very own branded t-shirt. As well as looking super cool, all proceeds will go directly to MIND. Alternately, you can text GIV. I-88 to 70070 with your chosen amount. I did that last night, by the way. Yeah, it was really cool. So at Fintech Insider, the live show that we had done at Carinary Wharf, and I think we've done that lately up there. Every Fintech Insider, we've hooked up to a charity, which I absolutely love. I love that about the company. Um, I really love the, this piece on mental health because the reality is in the tech industry itself, I know in San Francisco, a lot of the folks that I have worked with, this is a, a lot of people have written about this. Um, if you're really a geek, there's a great blogger, actually one of the original bloggers, Brad Feld, um, who talks about mental health um, and you know being aware of it and the soundness of mind. So um, all in on this. I think it's a great charity. Good on the, the, the office here for focusing on it. All right, let's move on to our next story. It actually kind of ties into the past, too. We talked about Plaid, which, again, um, became a unicorn, I believe, this fall, if I remember right, Chime, which another unicorn coming out of San Francisco. So when we're talking about the money that is in the space itself, Forbes had a great article 
um, this week, where fintech startups suck in $31 billion as the big finance players step up R&D by proxy. So venture capital investment in fintech companies rose to around $31 billion in 2018, compared with $15 billion in the previous year. In me doing math, I believe that's a 2x growth. Um, according to Hamilton Partners. However, despite some high-profile deals involving consumer-facing startups, much of the money was directed to the enterprise software market. Much of the current in investment in fintech is driven by the requirements of banks or investment houses. One of the quotes they had in the article said, the need to embrace change, but they are not set up to do their own R&D. So in place of R&D, they're looking at M&A. M&A is the new R&D. That was a clever quote by someone in there. Um, yeah, I mean, th- early on, one, you know, two times growth is great. Um, you know, initially, I'd say, you know, a couple of years ago, everything was on the consumer side. It was basically, if I remember right, in lending is what we saw a lot of the solutions. I think RoboAdvisor was big for a while. Are you surprised that it's a shift more to the back office size? I'm not, personally. I'm not. And I, I don't think that R&D is the new m and I think that um, M&A has always been the way people get stuff they don't have, whether it's a development team or a product or service. If some, if you've got the money and somebody else has got the cool thing, and I think this is where banks, um, if we go back to maybe 10 years ago when, you know, our fintechs, our friends, are they going to have our lunch? Well, I know what we'll do. We'll just go out and buy the cool stuff and plug it in. It's not that simple. So I think these, um, you know, large banks thought that they could just buy the, the R&D stuff that they wanted to plug in. Um, and whilst you can buy the thing, you can't necessarily replicate the culture. And so you buy the thing and then you kill the culture and then what was unique about it doesn't work anyway. So I think that M&A has always been an approach. Um, and whilst we had the, uh, what do we want to call it, you know, cooling off period post-crisis where M&A wasn't the root to this, this is where kind of the R&D came into it, where we had to build it ourselves instead of acquiring it from somewhere else. Yeah, I think investing money on the tech side outside your company, again, isn't new, right? I mean, Mark, you and I are old bankers back in the day, you know, and we were. I mean, obviously, you looked at external partners all the time, um, besides in-house, but the majority of the stuff we were doing was with those external partners and building around their solutions, whether it was FDR or Fiserv or SIS or Yodely back in the day, right? The names have changed, and thank God the tech's evolved. But again, it's not new. Yeah, I mean, banks have old tech and teams dedicated to working on old tech. So it's really hard to get those teams. One, you can't take them off of, of their current projects on, on the old tech side. Well, nobody Two, knows, they, how, yeah, knows, they, knows how to do that. Yeah, and they don't have the skill set yeah. to, to work in new tech. Um, so if you want to move with any speed, and there are probably cost efficiencies, uh, you go out and buy. I mean, you, you, you really don't have that much choice. So what you do as a bank is you create a very robust and slow vendor management process to make sure <laughs> that you can kill the startups in the way and you can get their employees in. And you right? make sure you bring legal all around that too and just it's gift wrap it in poo. That was just that. for you. Yes, that's a fact. I know it is. So out of all of that investment, how many of it was towards female founders? Apparently only 6% of the deals had female founders. I'm surprised it's that high. <laughs> yeah, that's Actually, true. Actually, I agree with that. And so the larger question is, is how do we change that? I, I still don't have the answer. Yeah, I mean, that's been a topic over and over again, right? Year on year. And and I think, especially, you know, when you look at the bigger tech companies and you look at hiring, right? 
um, on the focus and they report the numbers, there's still not a massive shift. I think it bumped like maybe a percentage point in Apple and Google. Um, it's, you know, where is the money going? I think there are some interesting firms that have come up that are focusing on both um, minorities for this, um, women in this space. But yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's 2019. We still haven't seen any kind of shift when it comes to this. So one thing I've noticed in general when it comes to the back office, this um, the B2B type of fintechs, a lot of it about getting that initial business with the bank is about the network and the relationships you have. A lot of them are founded by former bankers and they succeed because they have those relationships. So that's not going to change if we continue to base those uh, kind of deals and so no, I, I understand what out. you're saying, right? I, I mm-hmm. mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, so like um, here in the UK with Starling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, a, a significant part of the success with Starling is Anne Bowden with the relationships that she built up over the years as she came from inside the industry. I mean, Anne, Anne has a tremendous network and there's nothing wrong with having a tremendous network, right? But I'm talking about trying to sell compliance software to a big bank. And oh, good if luck. you come from, no, if you come <laughs> from... Uh, uh, that bank and you have that relationship already, that's going to help you get your foot in the door. Yeah. And so if these companies are being based off of those networks where banks are still also male dominated, then that's not going to change. How does BBVA do it? I'm curious because in a good way, BBVA has got a great relationship, yeah. right? Well, I mean, look at your company itself. We no, we we feel very proud. We have Should. almost have our team are actually women and we like that that diversity is something we take seriously and some people confuse diversity with just male and female like gender diversity and there is so many other types of diversity that you have to take into account and we we can talk afterwards about a lot of anecdotes uh again from the same source but bbva what i've seen i've interacted in bbva with both women and men and actually the sharpest on legal were women and the head of legal today for the entire bank is a woman. And um, the second on board on risk is a woman. So more and more you can see that things evolve. But again, we, we shouldn't stop talking about it. Because the minute you stop, about, you stop talking about it and you stop putting that out there, people get used to it and everything, comes, everything just settles. And you still need to move it until it, it's actually on its right place, which is not yet. This is slightly, slightly off topic, but to come back to your your question, Alexa, the um, California just passed a law last week. um, So California state legislation that says that all corporate boards must have two women by the end of 2020. And by the end of 2021, it needs to be at least three or X percent of whatever your so board quota is. limit they're setting at the state level at a state level. Yes. Didn't, didn't one of the Nordic countries they're do doing that it a couple years ago? UK too. So um, about 30%, I believe is of the board has to be comprised of women. So that's going to be a slow process though. By the time that happens, that needs to trickle down to the people that are making the decisions when it comes to procurement. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I'll get back to the wonderful procurement process and then how the impact it has fucking just yes. will not let this go <laughs> it's like I oh my it. god you must have had a good meeting earlier in the day it is though i mean it's a huge thorn in in the side i mean and this is a highly regulatory industry a highly regulated industry as it should be right um and i don't have an issue from that side but i just think so many of these processes have been put in place over the decades that some of it is just process for process sake regulation that's a main complication 
Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. That's why fintechs are so successful because they understand the regulation and they just make it easy. And that's why consumers love what fintechs bring to the table because they are just simplifying the problem for them. Well, do they understand the regulation? Sometimes that ignorance is bliss and that's what helps them kind of. Oh, for sure they don't. They, 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 they see friction and they attempt to resolve the friction. And once that happens, then somebody, you know, the grown up in the room comes in and says, Oh, by the way, you kind of can't do that. And then you start backfilling with the solution to the compliance regulatory challenge that you may or may not have. But, but I think that is the beauty of the kind of blue skies thinking. So, you know, in, in the blockchain space, for example, there are a number of people that will, you know, take a look at a problem and then attempt to solve the problem. And then you have this whole plethora of, well, actually in the real world, you know, mathematically from a quant perspective, this works perfectly. Um, but how are you going to instill that actually in practical terms every day? Right. And so there's this reverse engineering that happens. But I think if you kill that, then you kill the innovation, right? At the same time, though, when it comes to those B2B fintechs, what the most successful ones are the ones that do. A lot of times it's because they come from the inside the bank where those problems existed. They just have the ability to go outside of the bank and kind of evolve the way that they address those problems. So yes and no, Joaquin, I agree. Disclosure, I'm on a fintech, so I'm always going to say that we're better than banks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some of it's interesting. Um, I, Mark and I were doing some work um, just, I think it was a month ago when the whole Robin Hood thing fiasco I, oh no fiasco is that the word i want to use interesting development over a very short period of time on a supposedly new product offering which i think in the reality we knew was nothing new under the sun it was clever verbiage right getting back to the marketing yeah i mean you have to be careful right so i think they probably could have done a little more due diligence and and had a uh, you know dare i say a compliance person take a look at how they were yeah. dare i say titling uh, accounts uh, before they went out with them and then, yeah, and then think, realized that they weren't actual accounts. I think the name of that product changed four times over four days, and that was over a weekend, if I remember right, right? The story came out like on a Thursday or Friday, the offering, and by Monday, it was an entirely new thing. Um, talking about communication and actually and marketing, this ties to our next story. This one's pretty local here in the UK, which I like. I just got a thumbs up from Laura, so obviously I'm on time and moved to the story she wants me to. So in the Financial Times, the city watchdogs to probe Revolut's spoof takeaway ad campaign. So Revolut admitted it fabricated statistics in that, in that, in quotes, high profile Valentine's Day advertising campaign, which has now been referred to the city watchdog. The advertising standards authority said it passed on several complaints about the Revolut ads to the FCA after being alerted that they were misleading claims about customers' transactional data. Revolut's media spokesman confirmed the numbers used in the advertisements were just made up and acknowledged that the advertising marketing campaign did not make clear the examples used were fictitious. So in the adverts for those in the United States, Revolut claimed that 11,867 customers had bought a vegan sausage roll in the past month. And that last Valentine's Day, thousands of other customers had ordered a takeaway meal for one. So for those of you in the U.S. to explain this further, a vegan sausage roll, I don't know what the hell a vegan sausage roll is. I don't think that translates to most of us stateside, but essentially some really sad 
thing you eat it's on not, Valentine's it's Day? Not, it's, it's no, not, it is. It I sounds horrible. It's like a pig in a blanket, but in this case, it's a vegan veggie pig in a blanket. A, veggie in a blanket. I mean, vegan and sausage just I don't com- go together. Yeah, I would have complained about <laughs> that. That's what the uproar should be about. Oh my god! All right, I mean, we're talking an ad, right? That was on. I mean, was anybody it, in here really hurt a, by that? It was a ridiculous ad. The whole thing was ridiculous. The ad was ridiculous. The tone was ridiculous. The fact that they made stuff up. And this has come out after. So originally we were talking about why it was ridiculous because of the completely insensitive tone of the advert, right? The advert was very patronizing. Um, and it implied that somehow they could tell who these single people were that didn't have someone to spend Valentine's Day with. And so they were ordering takeaway meals for one and oh, poor thing, bless. And so at first, that was the first uh, backlash with the ad. Um, and they didn't apologize. And in fact, they went on the offensive and said, nobody's offended by this. And so then it started this uproar of people who were actually offended by it. And then double down on, well, you're not even taking into account that we're offended and you're telling us we're not offended. So you're not kind of validating our own like reality here. And then they said, oh, well, the numbers are made up. So it's like, this is like the third thing that has come out of this ad where now the regulator is getting involved um, and saying, well, no, you can't just make stuff up and stick it on an ad. And there's a disclaimer on this ad, right? So in any other realm of financial services, if I made up statistics and I have a marketing background in a regulated environment, you could not do that. You would get fired. You would get fined. And they have just taken this laissez-faire um, and dare I say it, I'm going to be unpopular, this kind of brosif approach to um, their customers and their public. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm the woman saying this, so people are going to go, oh, well, she's just, you know, a woman that's been, no, it's just, I, it's terrible. Well, you named three things they did. There's actually four. Well, tell me about the other ones so I can get they, madder. <laughs> they, on Twitter, I believe, said something along the lines of, um, not an apology, but for Valentine's Day, our users can come in. And oh, that little and party, and we'll serve vegan oh. sausage rolls, which I thought, oh God, just oh, no, if you're going to go were, all in, just keep going all in. They started calling their customers snowflakes. Oh, yeah. the delicate snowflakes. Why don't you come in and have a drink and a sausage roll? And then they started taking individually to people in the fintech space, calling them snowflakes, personally calling each person out on Twitter over the last couple of weeks. And you just think, you know what, if... I, I have made many, many miscalculations in my career. Many, many, many. And when it gets to the point where we're here and now the FCA, at some point you need to say, I hold up my hand. Perhaps this was a miscalculation. I'm sorry. Yeah, I would That's say, it. I would say tone of voice for your brand is slightly important. And uh, embracing Let's not that. forget that this is a company whose customers sent them Tupperware full of poop. So now we're back to poop again. So they had <laughs> a customer. We have a name for this show. <laughs> they Laura. had a customer that was Tupperware frustrated with their customer service. And they sent them a, you can mail order um, animal poop. And it gets delivered to somebody like flowers with, you know, a, a, a message uh, and your sentiments so, I mean, around, and they right tweeted it. it. Yeah. So they received the poop, and then they said, oh, thanks so much to our customer, and they tweeted the receipt of a customer sending the poop. 
Well, it is Valentine's Day, so that is, <laughs> that's a great idea. But a complete it, disconnection from emotional intelligence with their customers yeah, is my I, Again, my one, obviously no compliance tied around this from the marketing side. It gets back to, I think, to some degree, a little bit of a grown-up in the room, you know, a little bit of maturity on a product. I mean, the big issue here is honesty and transparency in yeah. a traditional business environment that has a reputational impact, which has a reputational impact on your brand, which in turn then impacts your business. I will caveat by saying it though, that we are not living in a traditional world anymore. All we have to do is look at what's been happening in politics. Well, I think let's do a a nice little pivot from that. So from the Revolut and and that type of um, marketing poop to uh, Oak North, right? So Oak Oak North aims to put down roots in the U.S. after a new investment they received. This is from City AM. So UK fintech unicorn Oak North is to nail 440 million round led by SoftBank. SoftBank is throwing money around in a good way. And so uh, SoftBank, Sam Mall at Sam at 11FS.com. Feel free. I'll come up with something. Lord, if you want to send some money my way. So Japanese mega investor SoftBank has led a $440 million funding round in savings challenger Oak North here in the UK. Investing in the company via its $100 billion. Let me say that again. $100 billion vision fund. The funding will be used to expand Oak North's portfolio across to the U.S. and Canada, marking the bank's first exploration across the pond. Oak North raised $100 million in September last year, a round which valued the bank at $2.7 billion. Once closed, Fintech Unicorn will be raised over $1 billion to date, making it one of the most heavily funded in its sector and the most backed fintech firm in Europe. Um, I'm always impressed with Oak North. I think they've done a fantastic job growing that um, business, uh, getting back to branding, um, embracing the brand and sticking true to what it is and their customers. Um, they're, they're a, I don't know if I want to use the word disruptor. They, they, they've got this down. Well, they deliver what they promise that they will in a professional and sophisticated way. I mean, Mark, before coming over to the UK, had you heard of Oak North before? I'd heard of them on the, uh, VC side, uh, on the business side. No. Um, but you're right. I mean, they, they feel different. Uh, they look different. They act different, uh, than a lot of the hype banks that you, that you see today. Uh, and I know on here it says, you know, do you think they'll be successful or they could achieve success in the U.S.? And I would say absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a platform based solution that solves real problems in spots where other banks haven't covered. So yeah, I'm with you. I really like Oak North, uh, out of all the banks that we'd either talked to or visited over the last few weeks. So it's interesting. We've actually done an interview um, with Oak North CEO, and let's hear from him now. Um, so the so the transaction with SoftBank um, it came about with us actually starting conversations mid last year, very informally um, about whether whether a relationship made sense, and we had multiple discussions. Uh, clearly, we we ended up closing another investment round in August last year. Um, for $100 million, which effectively provided us with a fully funded business plan. So we didn't have a requirement for capital. However, the discussion with SoftBank was much more around if we did have the access to their network, as well as a significant amount of additional capital, what else could we do? How much could we accelerate the business? What could we do differently, et cetera, et cetera. And 
those conversations sort of carried on and uh, over the last weeks we sort of accelerated those conversations and had a very strong view that actually you put the package together and there was a lot which could be could be gained for for the business by having them as a as an investor and and what do i mean by that in terms of what what are they going to bring for us um look obviously they are one of the largest if well probably the largest technology investor globally given the vision fund that means that they are involved in interesting businesses and have relationships in pretty much all the major markets globally that in itself just gives us massive span as we look to license our platform to banks in other countries to have a good landing place and people who have very strong connectivity within local ecosystems within within major countries the the capital is going to be used for a combination of continuing to fund our uk uk business so continuing to help with the lending we do to uk businesses as well as really helping expand the the platform business outside the uk and specifically setting up and and growing the us lending business which is going to be done with funding partners opposed to on balance sheet and finally our last story uh, mastercard's new groove with lincoln park for me the band is cool the story isn't however alexa disagrees with me so i'm excited we'll see um, MasterCard, Story and Finextra, MasterCard seeks good vibrations with a new sonic identity. So MasterCard's heading to the Grammys and the Brit Awards to debut a new sonic brand identity scored with the help of <laughs> Mike. Yeah, say it again, Laura, really loud. Um, uh, Mike from the U.S. rock band Linkin Park, who is cool. I like them. They've been around forever today. Numb's a great song. The new melody will play whenever consumers use their cards in a physical, digital and voice environments as payments become invisible across digital commerce. The need for an audio cue to reinforce brand identity becomes increasingly important. What is it you like about this? I was prepared to hate it. I really, when I read the story, I. I thought it would be terrible. You have to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> but once I, look, I listened to it, I actually thought it was kind of cool. And this isn't new. Brands are constantly trying to build an identity. I think associating yourself with a band is probably a cool way of doing it. I have to say BBVA did the same. We supported a band locally in Spain, a very up-and-coming band, and we created our own song with them. And I think that's a kind of innovative way. Maybe I'm just a bank nerd, but I thought it was a really cool way of trying to create a new identity but for ourselves. I, I could see how it would work if you were using Apple Pay or Android Pay from your phone, but does the POS have the ability to play a song? I hope not. <laughs> but don't, don't you guys remember the, the you guys talk about in another podcast about that it? account that was meowing? Yes. Yeah, right. uh, what's it called? A son, a son, I can't remember. Yeah. When you swipe it, it goes. Yeah. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, it has been like tried folks. before. I, it may work this time. I don't know. I so um, one of the guys, Tom Evans, at our company was with us over in the U.S. and Tom had this card right um, with this cat design on it and kept trying to show us how it worked. And um, it was painful, personally. I, oh, the commercials are it. fantastic, though. Yeah, the making of the meow, where yep. they had like a million cats come in. So the, the marketing side was great. In the wild, I wasn't too impressed. Well, so let's, let's, let's maybe step back from this for a second. So I think the idea of audio branding is, is kind of all the rage. And so circling back to the first story, um, 
people are trying to differentiate by the really cool color of their card, right? So electric coral, I've got that wrong. Sorry, Monzo. Um, but, you know, it's they're all, you know, very uniquely different, right? So if your card sings to you, it's another way to drive a, a, a brand attribution, right? It reminds you. And if you look at, you know, historical advertising, the jingle is an incredibly... Um, compelling way to if, if something sticks in your head you remember it right like Oscar Mayer Wiener like we remember that we could sing it now right wasn't a vegan <laughs> definitely not a vegan way. sausage roll the Oscar Mayer Wiener the song um, is good but also if you look at kind of the the socio um, uh, physiodynamics of people we remember things we hear probably most um accurately or more accurately than we do things we read or things we see so that that audio cue um, for human beings is is visceral right so which is why a song gets stuck in your head so I, I think that if they can make it work it's not it, it's kind of a cool thing um, I think it's kitschy you know yeah, I, mean, I don't necessarily it think events. it's going to drive revenue but yeah. it's kitschy I mean when you dig farther in this story it's, it's event driven right this is around the Brit Awards in London the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona I get that Right, like there's, South by there's Southwest. There's somebody else that's doing the I same thing. It. I can't remember who it is, but there there is another financial services firm that is branded. They have their own song or jingle. Yeah, I can, I can get it from that. An event kind of deal and doing it. And good on them for trying to stretch it. Even better to go with Lincoln Park, personally. Mark is just completely shaking his head and doesn't care whatsoever. Well, I don't know. Do, if you hear the song, do you think... Oh, I should put my Visa card back in my wallet and pull, pull out, out my MasterCard. MasterCard because I just heard this jingle. Me? No. What, from a security perspective or just because you're annoyed by this jingle? No, just uh, the jingle is reinforcing what? The brand MasterCard? I'm, well, think I about it this way. You know that... Uh, the Nokia ringtone, like we can all probably remember what that sounds like. And if you hear it today on, on a movie or, you know, embedded in a song, you know that's the Nokia ringtone circa 1995, right? And so it, it resonates. Yeah, but you may have some passion about going out and getting a Nokia phone that provides a differentiated service of some sort. You know, my favorite differentiated service is really good service and not going down for like two or three days. You know, and and not acting like an ass on your advertising and, you know, just be good. Have a good product. Don't, like, kill me in fees, you know, and and I might want to work with you. I think that's a good place to end the poop in a Tupperware episode. I think that's what we're calling this. Oh, that's a good one. That's where it's going. All right. On that note, (laughs) we're going to wrap up the poop in a Tupperware Tupperware. episode. Um, I want to thank all of our guests. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a great name, and our marketing person has done it. Um, Here's the most important part. Where can our listeners find more about you, Alexa? We'll start with you. Best place? On LinkedIn under Alexa Fernandez. All right. Joaquin? On LinkedIn and on Dennis and Darayo. And on a terrace at a really cool place that Plaid used to have in San Francisco. We're working to get that to us. I hope you, I'm coming to San Francisco for that. Tina? Uh, Tina Taylor on Twitter. Or uh, you can find out more about GDF at gdf.io. And this one's going to be great because Mark Meisner has absolutely no yeah. social presence. I mean, I think you already know the answer to this. You can't find me. Um, call Sam all, <laughs> and I will link you to Mark, the, the legend from Omaha. Um, and as for me, Sam at 11FS or Sam Mall on Twitter. 
Um, what did you think of today's show? you got to love the title. Let us know on Twitter at Fintech Insiders. And don't forget, if you love the show, be sure to leave us a review. Please don't talk about the poo. Thank you for listening.